Hi again, everybody. I'm Dan Horde, and thanks for downloading the Bengals Booth Podcast, the hot fun in the summertime edition, as I have a fun conversation with Seth Galina from Pro Football Focus, who has an optimistic view of the Bengals' chances of returning to the playoffs this year. You'll want to hear what Seth has to say. The Bengals Booth Podcast is presented by Bud Light Seltzer. Refresh the game. And here's a quick reminder that you can have the latest edition of this podcast delivered right to your phone, tablet, or computer by subscribing on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, or Podbean. It's the greatest thing since youth coaches. For nearly 10 years now, I've either been the head coach or an assistant coach on my son's knothole baseball team. Shout out to the Eagles who had a fine season this year. I love doing it. It's great to spend that time with my son, and it's also been fun to see his friends and teammates improve over the years and develop into young men. But it's also made me appreciate all of the coaches that I had as a kid. Youth coaching is the number one form of volunteerism in the U.S., and it can be very time-consuming. So, if you're a coach, thank you. And if you have a child that plays youth sports, thank his or her coach. Now... Let's get to this week's conversation. Seth Galena is a Montreal-based writer and podcaster for Pro Football Focus, and he also has a coaching background, having coached linebackers and quarterbacks in the past. I reached out to get Seth on the podcast after seeing a recent article he wrote for PFF that painted a pretty optimistic picture for the Bengals in 2021. Seth, on June 3rd, you published a story with the following headline. The Cincinnati Bengals will return to the playoffs if Joe Burrow can fine-tune the deep passing game. So I have two questions for you uh, based on that headline. Number one, do you mean this year? And number two, why do you think the Bengals were so bad in that area last year? I do mean this year. And maybe I'm getting a little ahead of myself, but I am very bullish on the Bengals chances. And that's because I'm very bullish on, on who I think Joe Burrow can be as a quarterback. So I get, let's get that out of the way. Uh, I'm, I'm very much into the Bengals this season. I think the issues they had last year were, well, I, you know, I wrote this in the article, but they're really threefold. First one, look at the quarterback position. You have a guy who was throwing the ball super accurately down the field in college and it just kind of didn't happen for him last year. He, obviously, he doesn't have this like super arm strength, but I don't think that should matter that much. I think it was just more of a fluke year where he just missed a couple times, well, more than a couple times down the field, you know, on, on, um, on just sideline, vertical sideline routes. And I think the nice thing about Burrow is that it's not like other quarterbacks. Um, I can give you a good example, like Daniel Jones, who, you know, might not have this have a, 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 an elite arm either, but Daniel Jones doesn't even try to throw down the field. Joe Burrow loves to throw down the field. Um, he has a higher, you know, a, a relatively high average depth of target. He loves throwing nine routes down the field. That's his game, you know, trusting his receivers to go make plays for him. So on one hand, he wasn't throwing the ball super accurately. On the other hand, trusting his receivers to make plays for him down the field didn't go as planned in the way that, you know, going back to the 2019 season at LSU in the way that Jamar Chase, who obviously he, he's reunited with, and, Jamar, and Justin Jefferson and Terrace Marshall went up and, and made plays for him. You know, 50-50 balls 
uh, the LSU receivers made plays for him. The Bengals receivers last year could not come down with contested targets. I think they were last in the league in percentage of deep targets that were contested that they came up with. So that's Burrow himself is number one. The receivers are number two. And the number three thing is I felt like the, the play calling, they just could have used a lot more of these kind of hard play action, turn your back to the defense, come out of it and, you know, get the safety to, to bite on some route and then throw a post over his head. And I just didn't feel like there was enough of those plays called. And if they can get up to, again, it's just, you're really just trying to get to league average, not asking them for too much. Just want to get to league average on those type of plays. And, um, and I think with that, you're, you're cooking because we know that Joe Burrow can make plays basically under 20 yards, his technical ability, his accuracy is top notch. So if you can just figure out the rest uh, and, and it's a big part of the game, obviously creating explosive plays, then, then they're going to be fine. We're talking to Seth Galena from pro football focus. Let's follow up on Jamar chase. How much will he help? And did you agree with the decision to draft him number five overall instead of Panay Sewell? I don't think you could have went wrong with either of them. I think probably the Bengals might be under the kind of uh, understanding that all they really want to do is be average at offensive line. And then if we're just average at, off- at, at every position on the offensive line, um, rather than having any major holes or having any you know, major elite players who Kanesuo probably will be, then they'll be okay. And if, and if that's the case, then you go get the receiver who can make plays one-on-one. I mean, that's really what you want is a guy who can win on the outside. Uh, A.J. Green clearly wasn't that player in, in, in 2020. So you replace him with a, a younger player who can go up and, and make plays for them, who can get separation against press coverage, who you can just play as an isolated receiver, which the, the Bengals like to do. So I think it works. I think it, it's a really good situation for, for Chase to go into and kind of the Bengals bringing him in, I think is a good, uh, a good play by them. We're talking to Seth Galena from Pro Football Focus. You can follow him on Twitter at PFF underscore Seth. You wrote an in-depth story about Jamar Chase about a year ago when at that time we expected him to have another year at LSU. What can the Bengals steal from the way that LSU used Jamar Chase? So the, the, the main idea from that was what LSU did with Chase, which was he was their, what you would call an X receiver, the guy that you are going to isolate on one side of the field and you're going to let him win. Are you going to ask him, hey, dude, time for you to win on slant routes, on, on whatever route. So usually that receiver is, I wouldn't say hugging the sideline, but he's close to the sideline, right? That's how we think about football, I, I would say. But what LSU did was they brought him in a lot more. So he was still isolated, but he was closer to, to the quarterback, basically. And, and what that allowed him to do was kind of be able to use two releases. He can release inside for inside breaking routes, but he still had the room to release outside and run outs, run corner routes to the sideline and, and then use his, his, his physical ability to win one-on-one. And the, the, the Bengals already kind of do stuff, stuff like that. They had brought in um, what we call, you know, they're, they're RP, they don't run a ton of RPOs, which I, I actually think they should run more of. 
Um, but one of the RPOs that they did run was a kind of isolated receiver, what I'd call a glance post. So it's kind of like between a post and a slant. So it's five steps and then he's going to break inside on that 45 degree angle, like a slant. And they ran it a little bit, but with LSU, they ran it all, all the time in 2019. So I think you bring in chase, you know, with his quarterback from college, I think that's the type of situation where you can, you can move chase inside a bit have him run still those in-breaking routes. But then you also get the benefit of being able to throw him routes to the sideline, like corner routes where he's so good at out routes. And, and, and then you even just give him more room to work the sideline on a vertical, a vertical fade ball, vertical goal route, kind of like we talked about before. So I think there's some things you can bring in that they've kind of already done, but a little more stuff you can bring in with Jamar Chase there. When I reached out to set up this interview, you responded with, yeah, I love talking about Burrow. I know you have experience in coaching quarterbacks. What are some of the things that jump out when you study him on tape? There's a confidence level. I mean, like, this is not a technical thing at all, but there's just a, an incredible confidence in that I can make all these throws. But he also, you know, on the technical side, he, well, for, I mean, look, first of all, he make, doesn't make mistakes. He's not really throwing it to coverage. He's reading defenders, uh, you know, obviously good in the pocket. But I think, again, from going back to the technical side, his feet are as good as you're going to see in the league, really. Mm -hmm. He doesn't take any false steps. He's always throwing on time. And yeah, because he doesn't have this elite arm strength, he can't afford to be late on any throw, and, he is, and he's not. So I think that's really the main thing. Very balanced in the pocket. You know, he takes his drop back. He's not like rushing back there. He's not too slow. He's really balanced. So that when he gets to the end of his drop back, the feet don't have to kind of reset themselves. And we see that in a lot of, you know, I just happened to watch um, Drew Locke tape recently, another young quarterback, and he's still learning that type of thing where, okay, you know, I, I, I don't, I can get to a situation where if I refine myself, I don't need to take these extra little steps and those extra little steps in the NFL will kill you. And Burrow doesn't have to do that because he's already at, at, a, at an elite level in the technical footwork. And then, of course, like the, the accuracy is, is stunning in some places on the field, throwing out routes, throwing slants, stuff like that. So, yeah, I think from a technical perspective, the feet are, are what really stands out to me as, as, as top notch. One more question about the June 3rd article, and then I'll move on to something else. You wrote in the final paragraph, they could be a real dark horse to make the playoffs and even the win the division. Obviously, Burrow is a huge reason that you, you feel that way, but I don't think you would write that if you didn't think the overall talent was at least pretty good. Yeah, I mean, look, the skill position players are pretty good. Like, I think they've been hyped up a lot, you know, when I look at um, – or read other Bengals articles that they're hyped up for sure. You're obviously assuming that a, a player you take at number five overall is going to be a really good receiver. So I think like there's a chance that those guys are, are really, really good. Um, I would say there's not a guarantee, but there's a chance. Obviously at running back, you're feeling pretty good about yourselves with, with Mixon. Like I said, the offensive line just needs to be average. So I, I would say a lot of things do have to go well but there's the makings of a nice roster in terms of the type of players they have, you know, all the, you know, the receiving core has different types, whether you look at Boyd or Higgins or, or chase. So I think there's a lot of things to like. Um, the defense is interesting. They were very, they were 
league average last year, I would say. And if they're league average again, that's pretty much all you need from this defense. Obviously, if they if they can if they can manage to, to get above that, that'd be great. So I think there's a lot of things to like. And I think if you if they all go right, and I'm, I'm sure you could say this about a bunch of teams, but I feel like if they all go right, uh, yeah, you could definitely win the division, go to the playoffs, especially with three wildcard teams. I think going to the playoffs is a realistic expectation, assuming Burrow bounces back from the injury and is uh, and is very good. We're talking to Seth Galena from Pro Football Focus. He is also the host of PFF's college football podcast since your Joe Burrow story you've written about the offensive and defensive schemes of all 32 NFL teams obviously the Bengals are primarily a three wide receiver one tight end offense are there any obvious ways that you see for the Bengals to be more efficient than they've been the last couple of years under Zach Taylor yeah I wouldn't mind if they went back you know Zach Taylor was brought in from the let's say the Sean McVay tree and I, you don't really see that type of offense, which is fine. You know, he's more than welcome to do whatever he wants, whatever he feels is necessary. So you see them, you know, in the shotgun, obviously, and it helps with Burrow there. You know, he played like that in college. But I also think Burrow being just a very good quarterback means you could get him under center more. You could start stretching defenses out sideline to sideline with that wide zone, outside zone running play, and then and then use play action off of that rather than the kind of, you know, if you're going to be in the shotgun, then that your whole play action experience is going to change because you can't, you know, I said it before, you can't turn your back to the defense and really sell it hard. Um, Burrow does a good job of selling the shotgun play action stuff, but I think you can do a lot more from under center. So I would like to see them maybe, maybe kind of balance themselves out, themselves out a little more by going under center, running some more stretch and, and, and seeing if that can get them anywhere. What stood out when you studied Lou Anarumo's defensive schemes? I mean, it was pretty, you know, I don't, I don't think anything necessarily stood out. I, I, you know, I wrote this in the article, but I'm very interested to see. I, I, I kind of didn't realize this until I went, went and looked at it, but a lot of man coverage. And it, it kind of works with the players they had now that you're, you're, you're changing around some defensive players. Obviously, William Jackson has been a, a mainstay, was a mainstay at in Cincinnati for a long time and, and one of the better man coverage defenders. Now you don't have him anymore. So are you going to say, OK, we can we can play more zone defense? And it's funny because, you know, William Jackson goes to Washington where they did not play a lot of man. They played a lot of zone and they said, hey, we didn't have we don't have the horses right now to play man. We're going to keep it. We're going to play zone. We're going to keep everything in front of us. So I wonder if and again, just the William Jackson connection is there. If now you lose William Jackson and now the Cincy defense says, OK, now, wait a minute. We don't have the horses to run man coverage. We're going to stay in more zone coverage. We're going to keep things in front of us. And, and hopefully we don't allow a lot of explosive plays that way. So I, I'm, I'm very interested to see because I do think it could change a bit. Um, with the personnel changes but you know like I said it was a league average defense and that's that's I, I feel like with the personnel that's probably what you can hope for again this year. Seth Galena is our guest from Pro Football Focus in free agency the Bengals signed Trey Hendrickson, Larry Ogunjobi, Mike Hilton, Chidabe Awuje and Riley Reef, among others which additions do you like which ones aren't you as high on? I think there's a, the Trey Hendrickson one is interesting because I think the the sack total that he put up in New Orleans maybe isn't as uh, predictive, let's say, of where he could be. Um, but I, I really like that player. He's a hard worker. He's good against the run. So I think he can he can still give you something, even if maybe 
you know, the, the sack total comes down by five or six or something like that. I think, I still think, you know, don't look at it like at the end of the season, Oh, he only got seven sacks. Oh, he only got six sacks. I think he, he's still a well-rounded player and can give you a lot, uh, you know, on the defensive line on the edge. And you are a big uh, fan of the Mike Hilton signing, if I remember correctly. You're, you're talking about a guy who's super underrated, can play in the slot. Well, well, that's where he's going to play is in the slot. And it'll be a different, you know, again, going to talk about the scheme, you know, what he does, what he did for the Pittsburgh Steelers was, was interesting because he was kind of a hybrid, like playing in the slot, but also like, he's he's a he's a sturdy dude and and he likes to get his nose a little dirty and and play against the run and and you know the Steelers defense blitz blitzed him a lot from the slot so it'll be interesting to see okay well are the Bengals going to do that or are they going to hang him out and play man-to-man on the slot I think you know for my money it would be better if they if they use him like he did in Pittsburgh and and have him you know again like I said get his nose dirty fit up against the run blitz him off the edge he's such a dynamic player like that that I, I hope I hope we see him being used like that again we're talking to Seth Galena from Pro Football Focus so I, I read PFF regularly I always try to see whatever is being written about the Bengals by you and your colleagues but I thought it'd be good to see what you might have written about them in the past that I might have missed and I stumbled upon a reference to you spending three days as a guest coach with the Bengals in 2018 did that happen uh yeah I I I would the where I was coaching the defensive coordinator at the time was friends with uh, the Bengals former defensive coordinator Terrell Austin, so we were able to go there and they taught us so much getting getting to go on the practice field I stole so much Gatorade from the locker room. <laughs> uh, um, I may have yeah so uh, it was such a great experience uh, getting to. You know, I was coaching the linebackers at that time, so I was there with a really, really good linebacker room at that point. I learned so much from, you know, I'm, I'm a Saints fan, so growing up, you know, I, I lived through the Jim Hazlitt days, and I got to, you know, be in the same room as him when he was a Bengals linebacker coach, so that was, that was fantastic. Yeah, good guy. I grew up rooting for the Buffalo Bills, so naturally, I was a Jim Hazlitt fan from his playing days with Buffalo. What happened in the Bengals locker room? Uh, well, so <laughs> I, uh, your, your listeners won't know this about me until now, but I'm a very, uh, very stupid individual. And it was very hot that day in, uh, in Cincinnati. And I decided to wear long sleeves and we were out in the practice field all day. And I think I might've gotten a little heat stroke and I wasn't feeling very well. And uh, my claim to fame is that I, I vomited in the Bengals <laughs> locker room. So, uh, uh, and um, yeah, so I, I've, I've marked my, my, my territory there in, uh, <laughs> in Paul Brown Stadium, and, and I'm clinging to that. I've asked a lot of stupid questions in that locker room, but I'm proud to say I have not vomited. A few more questions for Seth Galena from Pro Football Focus, as I mentioned, also the host of PFF's College Football Podcast. Let's talk about college football for just a moment because PFF just released the college football preview magazine, more than 600 pages. It's got all sorts of great stuff in there. Looks like Cincinnati is ranked 12th in the preseason by PFF. Do you consider the Bearcats to be the best team outside of the power five? I do. I think a lot of it is, I think they're good. They're in for a very interesting season. You know, when you think about these type of teams, um, the non, 
the non-Alabamas, the non-Clemsons, the non-LSUs, et cetera. These teams tend to find uh, lightning in a bottle one year. And then, you know, and, and obviously there's a very stable program there in, for the Bearcats, but still like to, to get to where they were last year, it all, it's, it's magic, right? And, and I think, you know, a lot of your listeners will, will, will have been very excited last year watching them play. So I, I do wonder if you could find that again, or if it's going to be a situation where maybe this year's a little bit of a rebuild and then they're back at it uh, in, in two years. But with that said, you return to quarterback, you return a lot of talent on the, on the defensive line in the secondary. For me, the biggest thing that I'm looking for is obviously new defensive coordinator. Marcus Freeman is now at Notre Dame. They bring in Mike Tressel. Two, I, I think two completely different philosophies. And we don't really know exactly what Mike Tressel is going to do, but he comes from Michigan State where we know with, with D'Antonio and, and Pat Narduzzi before, like, they are going to be a quarters, you know, four down defensive lineman, kind of a classic, you know, defensive style where if you watch Cincinnati last year, very uh, different style of defense that Marcus Freeman was running. And it was one of my favorite defenses to watch because there were just, you couldn't, you didn't know anything was going to happen from post-snap to pre-snap, uh, sorry, from pre-snap to post-snap. They were flying around three-man defensive line. The linebackers were both kind of hybrid players. The safety was a linebacker, but he was also a cover guy, but he was also this. And then um, figuring out ways to kind of do that and still play man coverage behind it was really fascinating. So yeah, you again, there's talent that returns, but the scheme, I, I, I do wonder if Chessel will continue in, in the mold that Marcus Freeman did, or he'll kind of bring in his own style. Obviously, look, he, he's his own man. He'll probably bring in his own style, but um, very interested to see what they do there. Yeah, I'm sure Mike Tress will bring in some of his own stuff. On the other hand, I wonder if it was Luke Fickle's defense or Marcus Freeman's defense. It's probably, you know, they were very closely aligned, both personally and as uh, football coaches. And I'm guessing Coach Tressel comes in with the overall thought of, hey, let's not mess up what's working by trying to do too much uh, that's different. Yeah, I would say that's probably, and I, I, I wouldn't look, I didn't look this up, but I, you get the feeling that there's certain connection there between Mike Tressel and Fickle via Ohio State somewhere Correct. down the line. Uh, so I would imagine that they know each other relatively well, and, and they've been probably picking each other's brains for years. And so I, I would think that Fickle would want to keep keep this type of defense. The only thing is, it is a unique defense. So it's like, if you don't know it like the back of your hand, can you solve the problems that you're going to face on a week-to-week basis? You know, yes, the, the, the Michigan State defense is a little more, like I said, classic, traditional to a certain degree. But if you know how to fix the problems with that are inherent to it, um, then you're better than you might be better off than, than a defense that you don't know as well. So yeah, I, I would assume we would see more of the same stuff that we saw from Freeman last year, but um, the back of my head says, eh, maybe it might be a little different. <laughs> as you pointed out, if you're not Alabama or Clemson or somebody like that, it's hard to go undefeated and back-to-back years. Very few teams do, but let's just say that Cincinnati somehow pulls it off and that would include road wins in back-to-back weeks early in the season at Indiana and at Notre Dame, which would make a big splash nationally. If they did it, would they have a legitimate shot at making a four-team playoff? 
I want to believe it. I want to believe it because that would make <laughs> so college <do> football. <laughs> that would make college football so much better. But and and certainly you would knock off Notre Dame, who could be a team that would be in the top six or whatever, fighting for that spot. Um, Indiana, I don't think is going to win the Big Ten, but I think they're a sleeper pick to win the Big Ten. They could be very good. So yes, it would help. It would certainly, it, you know, if you could go through the conference, uh, you know, the AAC undefeated, and then like you did last year, but then add two out of conference wins that are that are elite two, you know, one elite program, one very good program. It would it would do you some good. You'd have to see how the. I, I hope so, but you know, you you know, you're gonna get two SEC teams that are <laughs> you know zero one losses. You know, you're gonna get a Clemson team that's pretty good uh, to to go undefeated again and. And uh, yeah, that four spots going to be really interesting. I hope so. I really hope so because we need we need we need touchable needs a team to crash the the party uh, one of these years. Right. Well, twelve team playoff is apparently coming, so the Cincinnati's of the world will get their chance in a few years. Final question for Seth Galina, and I appreciate all of your time. Last month, you took an early look at the top quarterback prospects for next year's NFL draft. You didn't have Desmond Ritter of Cincinnati in the top five. I get that. There's some really good players out there. I was a little surprised, though, he was not in your five honorable mentions. Why not? I think if we see there's flashes there with Ritter and, you know, you have the live arm, you have the running ability. I would like to see it play one to play 60 every game play 60 like I'm talking like it's still 2003 and that's all <laughs> play, play play one to play, play 80 five. yeah yeah um I would I would just like to see that um happen on a consistent basis I think there's like I said there's a lot of talent there but you're looking for something and and there was a really good stretch and I, I don't remember the weeks now maybe in the middle of the season towards the end of the season that you look said oh, okay here's a, here's a player you know, here's a here's a real quarterback that we can look at uh, for next year's NFL draft. But I don't think it's it's there uh, consistently. But uh, if he puts it all together, because like I said, the tools are there. That arm, that ball just rockets off his arm. Um, so yeah, I'm excited for him. But I just feel like I need to see it more for like a whole season. Fair enough, Seth. This has been great, and let the record show that if the Bengals' deep passing game is NFL average. And they go back to the playoffs. You called it on June 3rd. <laughs> uh, that would be good because I have a lot of other stuff that I've called this offseason that's probably not going <laughs> to pan out. So this will be a good one. Yeah, thanks so much for your time. Best of luck to your Canadians. And again, keep up the good work. Thanks, Seth. Thank you. Again, you can follow Seth on Twitter at PFF underscore Seth. That's going to do it for this episode of the Bengals Booth Podcast brought to you by Bud Light Seltzer refresh the game. If you haven't done so already, please subscribe. And if you have a minute, give it a rating or share a comment. That helps more Bengals fans find this podcast. I'm Dan Horde, and thanks for listening to the Bengals Booth Podcast.